0: Well, Tasmania is heading to the polls again, a year earlier than expected. We will govern, alone, or not at all. Contact tracing continues. We can identify sites where asbestos might be found. Australia's advantages in the emerging zero-carbon world economy are so large that they define the most credible path to restoration of growth. An initial quick count shows 72-year-old Defence Minister Prabowo Subianto won Indonesia's presidential election in a
1: landslide. The recent targeting of members of the Australian Jewish community through those practices like doxing was sh- shocking.
2: Large-scale military opposite operations in densely populated areas, risks extensive civilian casualties. Our message to Israel is listen to the world. Do not go down this path.
0: Regardless of what you might think of Mr Assange, justice is not being served in this case now.
2: The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has just posted on X, indicating he and his partner, Jodie Hayden, are engaged.
0: Uh, we look forward to our version of the Royal Wedding sometime uh, in the near future. The I'll be there throwing roses out uh, in front of your Prime Minister, whatever it takes. It's wonderful that I've found a partner uh, who I want to spend the rest of
2: my life with. Baby,
1: baby, yeah, I'm not quite sure if Peter Dutton has secured his invite to the political wedding of the year yet. Uh, every Friday on RN Drive, we go through the news and current affairs week uh, to cover the issues you may have missed. And joining me this afternoon is national affairs editor for 10 News First and self-professed swifty, Hugh Remington. Welcome back to Drive. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'll uh, get to how much you spent on tickets a bit later on. And uh, shaking it off this Friday is independent economist Nikki Hartley. Good to have you back as well.
2: Lovely to be here. Thanks,
1: Andy. Let's start with the... Well, it's week two of this federal sitting calendar. There's not all that many weeks uh, ahead of us, to be honest. The High Court is continuing to cause headaches for the government this week. Hundreds more long-term detainees, including refugees and asylum seekers, could soon be released as the court takes a second bite at, at indefinite detention. Hugh, I mean, this is a political hot potato that the country... Well, the government can't seem to bury... Uh, And yet, if you ask any legal expert, it's pretty simple. In this country, you do the crime, you do the time, and then we have to let you go. How do you understand this latest iteration of the High Court detainees' issues?
0: Well, I think the difficulty for the government is that it has extended beyond the 149 people who have been released, and those 149 people, as we now know, uh, contain a higher list of heavy criminal of- offenders uh, than had previously been revealed. Certainly at the end of of last year. So, uh, and there's been embarrassment for the immigration minister, in which he's he's not really been able to uh, g- give a convincing account that he knows where these people, and particularly these serious serious offenders, are. Now comes the news that the reach and purpose of that initial uh, High Court decision may extend further uh, to 340 uh, detainees. There is uh, a number of people who are uh, in long-term detention because they have uh, declined to cooperate with their own deportation. Uh, There's a test case that involves an Iranian Kurd. Um, who was told that he had to be deported. Uh, in order to make that happen, uh, he, it would have required him to have, um, so we learned from the courts, to uh, meet with Iranian officials to get the paperwork done for his own deportation. He refused to do that. That put him or left him in a limbo state and he remains in, in detention. It would appear indefinitely and it would appear that his case, being a test case for others, Um, is one where the High Court it would seem the the intention of the ruling would be that he would have to be released as well and others who might be in the same situation. So now it looks as if it's going to go back to the High Court, the Attorney General indicating that he wants to get further clarity on the status of those who are in long-term detention because of a refusal to cooperate with the process. So all of this keeps it in front of uh, the news cycle, if you like, and makes it a a difficult time for the immigration minister and for the government, and um, Peter Dutton and the opposition going full bore on that. And then the further wrinkle that uh, just in the last couple of hours, an asylum seeker boat has turned up in far northwestern WA, uh, about 20 people, we believe a Pakistani or Bangladeshi um, background appearing north of Broome. Um, one of whom has volunteered to the ABC that he has previously been deported from Australia and is now having another go because he didn't like it back in Pakistan. And Peter Dutton saying this is just further evidence that the government has lost control of the borders.
1: Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, particularly from the uh, coalition. Nikki, of course, the other wedge uh, that the Greens are seeking to capitalise on is the ongoing housing crisis. They see an opening on negative gearing. Uh, Treasury's latest cost estimate of this tax discount is $2.7 billion per year, uh, to which uh, should probably be added the chunk of the $19 billion per year lost as a result of the capital gains concession. The Treasurer, of course, uh, maintains that uh, they're ruling it out, certainly in this term of government. What, w- would going after the, these benefits be an economically sound decision for the government and an, uh, a politically unsound one? sounds like it.
2: <laughs> Definitely politically unsound. Look, economically speaking, um, it, it is a good idea, but it's still tinkering at the margins. You know, the biggest problem is the supply side. We all know that. The government too often puts in uh, place programs that increase demand without increasing supply. They need to increase supply. So if you're going to tinker with um, negative gearing, you need to make sure that you keep it for new buildings because I don't think it's a good idea to take it away from that. Um, but, you know, most modelling suggests that it would knock a couple of percentage points, um, maybe as many as five off the, the housing prices for a period of time. And obviously, that helps affordability. But um, if you then have a lot of people rushing back into the market, it doesn't take very long, as we've seen, for the prices to go back up. So, supply is the issue. We have to look at planning laws. Those are the core. You can't do one without all the other
1: I want to talk about uh, the proposal that we've heard today around the Ethics Centre, the University of New South Wales, the University of Sydney, have both uh, together made a joint submission to Treasurer Jim Chalmers ahead of the May budget, requesting $30 million uh, in a federal grant to create a national ethics institute. Hugh, I I spoke to Dr Simon Longstaff uh, on the program last hour. He's among the sort of thought leaders driving this. I must say, he was pretty convincing, the argument that if you're concerned about perhaps being gouged at the supermarket aisle, well, that also has an ethical dimension, and we don't have any kind of dedicated uh, public agency to inquire about that and provide some advice. Do you think this is a a, a, a fix-it-all kind of situation, a panacea for the ills that trouble this country?
0: Not remotely, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't think that uh, Dr. Longstaff, a highly sophisticated uh, thinker, would imagine it's any kind of a panacea. Uh, the issue of uh, supermarkets and their pricing uh, is based around uh, whatever they think they can get away with. I think, and uh, and that goes to issues of duopoly and the whole way in which uh, we structure uh, that segment of our retail world. Uh, and it's not just for, for the customers, of course, who, who go and shop there, but it's also for the suppliers. Uh, we've heard from the agricultural sector in particular that they feel very hard done by by the big the power of the big supermarket chains. And so, the, you know, I'm all for more ethics in, in life, but uh, it has been suggested, for example, that had there been an ethics uh, s- centre set up, that, for example, robo-debt may not have happened. But at the instituting of robo-debt, Um, it was being argued that it was in fact an ethical process, that it would find a way to um, uh, more efficiently make sure that money in welfare was going to the people that it needed to go to and that fraud and um, a failure to pay back overpayments um, was a problem that could be fixed by this process. So, in many ways, the argument for robo-debt was an ethically sound one. It was just that the manner by which it was then activated was disastrously unethical. And there's no indication that the then social services minister, Scott Morrison, or any future person holding that position would necessarily see what they were doing required the oversight of of an ethics commission. And Um, And and so I'm really intrigued as to how it would work. Would it be something where they could make their own investigations as the Auditor-General's report can, Auditor-General can, for example? Or would it have to be referred to, in which case if you thought you're doing something dodgy in government, would you refer to them? Um, What would be its power? And if it really was to have power, 30 million bucks wouldn't cut it, you wouldn't think.
1: Yeah, you get the feeling that without it being in any way legislated that uh, it'd just be another stack of papers on a minister's desk that he could ignore and uh, head off to the pub. The submission cited a a study that suggested a 10% improvement in Australia's ethical standards, which would increase the country's GDP, uh, allegedly, by $45 billion each year. I'm curious, as an economist, Nikki, how reliable that figure is.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Look, I think sometimes you know economists we're asked all the time in the consulting world to come up with a with a figure that that makes um, any sort of project or or um, investment look sexy uh, to, for government funding. And uh, it's only the figures that come out are only as good as the assumptions that underpin it. Um, this one I'd be particularly sceptical on because what are you saying um, is going to happen? I mean, you know, on the point of supermarkets, we have an ACCC. Um, as Hugh says, it's about the duopoly and the shape of the market. You know, who are you going to force to have ethical training that's going to to improve um, wages and, you know, improve some of the outcomes, including including robo-debt? Like, it just doesn't... There isn't a logical um, step from we've got an ethics thing to here suddenly we've got all these benefits that people get suddenly get paid more and and we create more value in in the economy. I mean, if you were making the assumption that people were there was less price gouging, for example, you would increase consumer surplus, and yes, that would create value for 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 consumers. But how you get from an ethical institute to that is really beyond me. The one thing I do think we do need to consider is, you know, with Gen AI being everywhere, and you were talking just before about, you know, we can now do do videos with Chat GPT. It isn't long before someone says, you know, put um, give me a give me a video of um, Donald Trump winning the, you know, twenty. 16 uh oh no wrong one 2020 election um and then what and then what happens you know there's going to be deep fakes uh will ethics solve that problem I don't know but I'm pretty skeptical about this one as well
1: well this is uh, the role of the free press Hugh uh to point out I suppose some of these uh yeah, these issues, particularly with powerful technologies like that. In lieu of that, $40 million. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of money, especially in a cost-of-living crisis. It's 19 past five. You're listening to RN Drive. Uh, we've got independent economist Nikki Hutley and Channel 10 National Affairs editor Hugh Remington here. Of course, it's Valentine's Day uh, earlier this week, and Cupid may have just delivered us our first lodge nuptials after Prime Minister Anthony Albanese proposed to his long-term partner Jodie Hayden uh, sending the nation's oxytocin levels through the roof. And no doubt a few (laughs) newspaper editors uh, (laughs) delighting in some headlines as well. Of course, the speculation uh, might be that the Prime Minister might uh, and his bride-to-be might have their nuptials at uh, Kirribilli. The question of such an event, uh, the cost of such event might uh, also raise a few eyebrows. Um, But you've been sussing out, I suppose, the reception that he may receive elsewhere in uh, the city of Sydney. Where have you been to find out about this?
0: Well, um, you know, Bon as we saw from uh, Peter Dutton, as the announcement uh, came down, there offering to uh, throw roses at his feet and wishing him well, all in good heart. Um, that only that lasts as long as a good any other good hormone rush, I suppose. The, um, the inevitably, it's going to be political uh, if he does this while he's in office. He could. You could have a very long engagement, as Jacinda Ardern did in uh, New Zealand, and and hold off the actual wedding until after you know the period in office is complete. But but let's assume that he plans to move on with this at the reasonable amount of time. Uh, to uh, the obvious thing is to do it at Kirribilli. It's a beautiful place. Uh, he will inevitably cop flak from some quarters, no matter when he does it there. Even though. John Howard uh, held a reception for his daughter at her, after her wedding at Kirribilli House. He stumped up for the costs of it, but the location he got for free. Uh, you know, Albanese could do something like that. The the, the other um, alternative, as he's a true man of the people, is to go down to the Marrickville Bolo, <laughs> uh, where they do indeed do weddings. Um, do they? And as I was talking by Marnie Boyd, the uh, uh, the acting manager down there yesterday. They've got new chairs. Uh, in fact, the whole place has been decked <laughs> out with new chairs. They're still 1970s burnt orange because you said they had to go with the ceiling, which is a spectacular, looks like sort of beaten copper or something or other. It's, um, and the carpets still have a um, have an authentically sticky feel underneath the feet. But um, why not do it at the Maritville Bolo? Labour heartland, his own electorate. You'll be celebrated forever.
1: I love your vision for that, Hugh. Although I think his uh, makeover before the last election might preclude him from uh, barefoot bowling, and uh, you know he might get the new spectacles dirty. The um the idea that you know everyone loves a wedding, particularly columnists uh, in the press, but also the you know the the, the the voter, Nikki. Do you think that there is a tangible bump? Uh, and we haven't seen news polling yet, but uh, or pro- any kind of opinion polling. But do you think that they'll, this will resonate well with the Australian public?
2: The <laughs> cat Look, everyone loves a good love story, don't they? You know, and um, as 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 the persistent watching of Love Actually every Christmas Eve um, by millions of households tells us, um, all he needs to do is get uh, Tay-Tay to sing at his wedding, and um, he'll you know he'll be through the roof in in the polls and and the election. That might be a bit of a hard hard ask, but yeah, look, you know, we're all softies. We like good news stories. There's so much bad news in the world. Yeah, I it's nice to think somebody has a happy ending.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, everyone's want to politicise it because. Of his job, but I mean, I don't know. It's just a wedding; like it happens every day. I think we should just say congratulations and get on with it. And we will. Uh, Let's talk about the carbon tax 2.0. Obviously, it's got a sexier name this time around. Ten years ago, this July, a triumphant Prime Minister Tony Abbott declared the idea of a carbon tax dead. This week, two of Australia's most eminent, eminent, I should say, economists gave the policy uh, CPR, if you like, proposing a new form of carbon tax that should they suggest could generate a hundred. Billion dollars a year. Uh, Nikki, do you think Australia is ready for another ride around on this merry-go-round?
2: Well, funnily enough, we already have a de facto carbon um, price in Australia in the form of the safeguard mechanism that was introduced in Parliament in July last year um, that imposes a cost on companies that need to um, get their emissions down. And if they don't, they need to go and buy um, carbon units, which um, you know have a price on, on them, um, pretty low at the moment, but it'll get higher as more of them need to, to buy them if they don't change their technology. And the Productivity Commission, in fact, has already suggested that that be widened to to the entire economy as the most efficient way of making the transition happen. It looks like um, with the Prime Minister uh, hinting this morning, and he's giving a speech tonight, I believe in the Hunter, um, where he'll talk about having Australia's answer to America's Inflation Reduction Act that uh, provides a lot of uh, support um, for for you know different parts of industry to go through the the transition. Um, you know, there are sticks and there are carrots. And the best, most efficient economic way is to have the carbon price. You can't call it that. You have to be a little bit sneaky because um you'll you'll just get into too much political trouble. You can you can see there's a theme going through some of the things we've talked about today. Good economic ideas often are difficult to sell politically and you need really strong leaders to be able to do that. But um, is it a good idea? By oath it is. Can they do it? No. Do they need to? there's
1: a workaround and we're, we're sort of heading in that direction anyway. Hugh, you would have seen uh, Ross Garneau and uh, Rod Sims at the Press Club this week. I've got to say, I, I enjoyed particularly Rod Sims and his comments which sort of seemed to me like he was lacing up his boxing gloves for a fight. You know, he was saying this is a, a, a policy we need, a policy that will make Australia more fair and equitable. It is only the start of the debate, not the end. I'm sure it'll run on to the next election. W- what do you think about the reviving of this idea do, you, do we have to have a choice when it comes to climate change, do, when it comes to European uh, standards of importation of our goods? Uh, do we have a choice but to listen to these uh, eminent economists?
0: Well, we have no choice except to keep doing things to reduce emissions. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I think Nikki's dead right. There is the economists can look at this and say, look, quite plainly the most efficient way to get this through the economy is uh, to price carbon and to make that as broad a price as possible. But it is more politically difficult. And And the lessons of, of history and certainly the century in Australia is that uh, unless you can sell it politically, uh, you are worse off in terms of your ultimate goal. And the glory of the safeguard mechanism is that it's such a nebulous phrase it's very hard to motivate people to go, you know, to the battlefields to fight against the safeguard mechanism. You can say, axe the tax, oh, we're going to do that. But, you know, oh, kill the safeguard mechanism just doesn't seem to have the same resonance. And so you can get a lot of that work done, as, as Nikki points out, you, you can get a lot of that work done um, without creating the political uh, destruction. And it's particularly difficult for Labour to, to go and do this. So uh, there should have been bipartisan support you know, decades ago to put a price on carbon at a reasonable level, and uh, and that is, as all the economists tell you, the political economists tell you, it's, it's the most efficient way, uh, you know, to make this system work. Um, but uh, you work with what you've got.
2: And yeah. look, the IMF is really pushing for a global um, floor price for carbon, and I think, you know, if we have these international forums pushing and pushing for this, then maybe there's a chance that one day we'll get something that looks more widespread.
1: Yeah, I think we'll be uh, very much enjoying debate over this until the next election, depending on whether the major parties listen to these two economists and the reasoning that they laid out in the press club this week. Finally today, to the other party of the century, other than Albo's barefoot bowls, Marrickville wedding, uh, Taylor Swift has finally brought her era's <laughs> tour down under. Much speculation and furious Uh, inch inch space in the press about how much it's worth economically or not to the country. Her first uh, concert is tonight in Melbourne and looking on from afar, it seems our cultural capital has very much gone into meltdown over this. Hugh, uh, a little birdie has uh, told me that you're actually attending tomorrow night's concert in Sydney. Who is chaperoning who here? Uh, Are you chaperoning a tween or two or is it the other way around?
0: Well, uh, I'm being chaperoned (laughs) by my 12-year-old. It won't actually be till the 25th on the Sunday. Is when i'm i'm going we're counting down the days uh, my daughter holly is uh He's just an insane Swiftie. It takes over every conversation. There is not a thing that can be said that can't be tied back to Taylor Swift. So she got her bestie. She's going. And I also flung in um, over his grumbles, but also I think to his delight, my 14-year-old son is going to go along. Uh, I've told him that uh, he's not allowed to sneer um, or otherwise um, I'll I'll (laughs) give his ticket to another one of Holly's besties. It's an expensive sneer for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. so, So far he's managed to restrain himself Uh, But I think once the concert's been done, he'll he'll then declare that the worst thing he ever saw in his life. Um, But uh, but that's what siblings do to each other. But I'm looking forward to going there. I sort of am looking forward to going there. Uh, it's a cultural event.
1: You must have heard of the uh, Taylor Swift dads, uh, every dad that's standing up the back uh, holding all of the friendship bands that have fallen off. They get packed and put onto a blog. <laughs> so I'll be looking forward to seeing Hugh Remington uh, dancing away in the background with a few friendship bracelets on at the Eras Tour. Uh, I'm sure that, uh, yeah, that that photo will get out, I'm sure. Uh, have a great time at Taylor Swift and uh, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Great to hear from you again. Independent economist Nikki Hutley and Channel 10's national. Nash- Affairs Editor, Hugh Remington. Have a nice weekend. Thank you.
0: You too. Have a good one. Thank you.
1: ABCRN helps
0: you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.